Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. This week, we'll be talking about some research about how visually impaired people use ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft. We'll speak with Chris Schimmick and Michelle Plunkett of the Texas A&M Transportation Institute about their research and how the experience can be improved. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Chris. The proposal that I wrote for this project required us to find innovative ways to share this with the community. And our initial plan was to go out and buy our own podcasting equipment and, and do this. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of work. You don't want to do you. that. <laughs> <laughs> so one day while I was driving home from work, I was listening to a podcast. I was like, I have been quite the idiot. I was like, well, I'm sure <laughs> there are people out there that have podcasts that are specifically focused on this type of thing. And I asked Michelle uh, to do some research. And lo and behold, she found you in probably about five minutes. And <laughs> here we are. Good job, Michelle. <laughs> well, and we appreciate you contacting us because, you know, these are topics that our listeners are interested in, as are we personally. Absolutely. And, you know, we might not have been able to find you quite as easily. So we appreciate right. it. Right. Yeah, I think that uh, with podcasting being such a popular means of disseminating information, I'm absolutely going to look for ways to do this again, encourage my colleagues to do the same. It's, it's, it's a great way mm -hmm. uh, to get some, some good media attention uh, for the organization and uh, a great way to publicize the research we do here. And that, that's a big part of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And as we touched upon for a bit, doing your own podcast can be a bit of work, but it certainly is possible from your own home these days. A lot of the equipment is quite affordable these days and can be done with your home computer and some relatively inexpensive audio interfaces and microphones. And if you're interested in doing your own podcast, you can listen to some previous episodes of Eyes on Success where we discussed all the details about how we put together our podcast and some of the tools that we use. And we'll have a link to that episode in the show notes associated with this episode. One of the other things that Chris mentioned was working with other people to cross-disseminate information, and we do that a lot. Every time we have a guest on this show, we send them a link to the audio, and we encourage them to share that with anybody they know who might be interested, and we tweet not only to our followers, but also to their organization and we do everything we can to share the information as broadly as we can. Let's start by meeting Chris and Michelle and learning a bit about the Texas A&M Transportation Institute, where they both work. So we actually have two people we're interviewing today. Chris, can you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Chris Schimmick. I work for the Texas A&M Transportation Institute. Uh, I work in the Austin Urban Office. My, my official title is Associate Research Scientist, uh, but I actually focus mostly on uh, public opinion and survey research. And we also have Michelle with us. Can you tell us who you are and what you do, Michelle? 
Hi, I'm Michelle Plunkett. I am a graduating graduate student from the University of Texas at Austin in the Master of Public Affairs program. And I'm working with Chris on this project as sort of his graduate research assistant. Oh, that's exciting. What are you doing next? I have accepted a position at Indeed.com as a senior policy analyst. That's a job hunting site, right? Yes. Great. Well, maybe people can look that up after the show. (laughs) So anyway, tell us a little bit about the department that you're in and what its overall mission is. Okay, okay. Uh, A little bit about Texas A&M Transportation Institute. It's an organization that basically focuses on trying to solve a lot of the issues that we face in the transportation field. That could be congestion, uh, parking, issues with asphalt, road geometry, uh, you name it. Somebody here at TTI uh, has made a career out of it. At any given time, we have three to 400 uh, full-time researchers and uh, two to 300 graduate students working at the organization. So overall, we're, we're a pretty big organization. As a program, we really do a lot of different things, but as our name would imply, our Kind of our core mission is to engage with the public and help the organization, help TTI kind of get a finger on the pulse of what the public sentiment is regarding any particular transportation issue we're studying. Uh, and conversely, uh, we try to help uh, the public better understand uh, policies uh, that organizations implement to help manage many of the transportation issues. So it's kind of a two-way street. We're a mediator of sorts that acts between uh, the public and uh, and governmental agencies that are tasked with dealing with these uh, transportation issues. So what are you going to be doing at Indeed? As we talked about, Indeed.com is a, is a job search website. Um, I'm going to be an advocate for job seekers by improving the website in their search quality department. So that is maintaining quality job postings for our our job seekers, which is anybody in the world really, which means policing kind of content that is potentially harmful for job seekers, like multi-level marketing schemes, things like that. So I will be helping to develop those rules that dictate what can and cannot be on Indeed. Oh, so basically applying all of your education in public policy to the private sector. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Good for you. And maybe after this experience, you might have some influence on uh, making sure that all those tools are accessible to visually impaired and people with other disabilities. Yeah, for sure. I've been thinking about that a lot, actually. <laughs> Great. It's always good to have an advocate on the inside of some of these companies. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 This week's focus topic is the research that Chris and Michelle have been doing regarding how the visually impaired population interacts with ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft. Just to let you know, you'll be hearing the term TNC used throughout this upcoming conversation, and that stands for Transportation Network Company. So in just a bit, we'll be talking about your research into how visually impaired and other people use services like Uber and Lyft and how safe it is. But maybe you can give us an idea of how you got involved in this research and what the overall thrust was. Yeah, it's really an interesting story how this uh, survey came about. I was actually engaged in another survey. I don't know if you guys are aware, but Uber and Lyft 
had been providing their services here in Austin. And as a result of a proposition that was passed here in the city of Austin, they decided to suspend their services. I did not know that. Yeah, they actually suspended their services for about a year. And we got uh, some federal money to study the impact of that uh, service disruption. So we quickly uh, put a survey together uh, and we were in the process of fielding it. We were uh, collecting information from the public through a web survey. When I got a call from a woman based here in Austin, uh, turns out she was a advocate for the visually impaired community. And make a long story short, she was upset that there was not a, a better mechanism to allow uh, visually impaired individuals to participate in this survey. Very sheepishly, I admitted that we had not taken that into consideration. But through our conversation, it very quickly came about, you know, she was a very intelligent woman and she had some good points to make. Uh, so after I had been apologizing very prophetically, uh, I, I asked her if it would be okay if I could uh, meet her in town somewhere and uh, maybe discuss some opportunities uh, for us to work together sometime in the future. Oh, what happened next? We met, we talked about a couple things. She educated me on visually uh, impaired uh, mobility issues and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to keep this in my back pocket. If, if a funding opportunity comes downstream, I'm going to reach back out to you. Maybe we'll have a chance to work together. And lo and behold, about six months later, uh, a funding opportunity came up. We were able to successfully write a proposal and uh, we got the work and the rest is history. So that's a great segue. Can you describe what this survey and study is all about? Absolutely. Absolutely. So as I had alluded to earlier, you know, here in Austin, we have spent a lot of resources and, and time and money and manpower into trying to figure out how Uber and Lyft and other transportation network companies like Uber and Lyft are used by different segments of the population, um, how they impact travel and congestion and things like that. This particular study looks at how the visually impaired population use transportation network companies like Uber and Lyft to get from point A to point B, but also how they perceive the safety of Uber and Lyft or other TNCs relative to uh, other more traditional ways of getting around like passenger vehicle, uh, paratransit, uh, walking, public transit. Uh, so that's basically the gist of the study. And I would guess visually impaired people would have particular issues about safety with such services because if you're using public transportation or, you know, private transportation from a friend, you generally have, you know, more sense of that this has been vetted or licensed somehow and Uber and Lyft work very differently. That's correct. First of all, sighted individuals take for granted a lot of things that the visually impaired community have to deal with on a daily basis. So it took a, a lot of education through literature reviews, through speaking with people that were visually impaired, for me to get a good understanding of what the, the mobility issues that they deal with on a daily basis and how they overcome them, how they deal with them, how they manage uh, getting around, how they manage to lead very active lives. On top of that, as you alluded to, Transportation network companies are very new. They're a very new uh, paradigm of mobility. So, you know, even researchers such as myself and, and Michelle, we're struggling to understand how they fit into the overall mobility landscape. 
Um, so one of the very attractive things about this study, there's not a tremendous amount of TNC research out there, but even more so, there's a lack of research that looks at how disabled populations, visually impaired populations, aging populations, how they those segments of the population utilize TNCs in different ways. Uh, and we're finding that TNCs, uh, a very large portion of those populations, really do like the services offered by Uber and Lyft. You know, you talk about not only security, but feeling confident that there is security. And one of the ways that Uber and Lyft make their sighted customers feel comfortable is that on the app, you get a photograph of the vehicle, a photograph of the driver, the license plate, and a blind customer can't easily make use of that information. So have you explored those issues? We actually have. It's interesting you say that. One of the things we found were kind of one of the downsides of transportation network companies to the visually impaired population was the fear that when a driver was hailed, that there was going to be issues with driver passenger recognition. In some instances, people that are visually impaired want drivers to know that they're visually impaired so that they know what to look for. In other instances, visually impaired individuals do not want to uh, let the drivers know that they're visually impaired because they fear that the driver is going to decline service. Um, as you alluded to also, one of the issues we found and actually followed up with Uber and Lyft about this was that their app, the smartphone app, it does provide visual cues to the user, uh, such as a, the color of the vehicle, the license plate of the vehicle, uh, it shows a vehicle moving on the screen throughout the tra transportation network as it approaches. But those things are not as useful to visually impaired users as they are sighted users. So both Uber and Lyft, and I'm sure other TNCs, are, are actively uh, doing things to mitigate those issues. Uh, they're cognizant of those problems, and they're putting a lot of time and money and manpower into, into addressing those things. Well, that's nice to know, because certainly if I was traveling alone, I'd feel a little bit uncertain about just hopping into the first car that pulled up. In fact, I've had that accidentally happen to me when I'm waiting for people on a street corner. Some car will come up and open its door, and I'll realize that's not the person I was waiting for. I can imagine that would be an issue. So, Michelle, I take it you were the legwork in doing a lot of this research as a graduate student. What did you have to do to do this research? What did it entail? I was involved with a lot of the uh, recruitment activities before did you even get respondents for the survey. So I had to collect a lot of data on even the types of organizations that serve this community and then reach out to those organizations multiple times throughout you know, the course of over a couple months to gain their participation in the project and send out, you know, the link to the survey to their uh, constituents in that way. I also helped get, you know, the project researchers um, connected with representatives from TNCs. And then the last part of my participation on the project was some um, analysis of the data that came through. Her help was tremendous in this particular aspect. She, uh, she, you wouldn't know if you didn't ask her, but she's quite the whiz with a lot of different software programs, and she made recruitment uh, a lot easier task for me, so I'm, I'll be forever in her debt uh, in that regard. How did the survey work? This particular survey was a web survey that we designed, and what we did is we took uh, the URL, the survey link, if you will, and we 
sent it out to, uh, Michelle, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was over 300 different advocacy organizations like National Federation of the Blind, American Federation of the Blind, their Not local chapters, uh, you know, Facebook pages, uh, other organizations that Michelle identified on the web presence. And we asked them to pass that URL on to their constituencies. So we really can't produce a, a kind of a standard orthodox response rate. We did end up with about 200 surveys, which allows us a pretty good robust data set to do some fairly detailed statistical analysis. And give us an idea of the types of questions you were asking. Yeah, so basically we started out by asking respondents about the, the types of modes of transportation that they use uh, within the last 60 days. At that point, after we collect that information, we had the ability to parse out the survey respondents into what we're calling users or frequent users. And those are people that had used a mode in the last 60 days. And then there's a group of people that had not used uh a mode within the last 60 days. And the idea behind that was to identify whether or not familiarity with the mode led to uh, feelings of safety and security, and lo and behold, it did. Uh, people that had used a mode uh, within the last 60 days and had a certain level of familiarity with the mode were much more apt to recommend that mode to friends, and they felt a lot safer uh, than people that had not used a mode. Um, and once we had collected information on mode use, uh, we found out uh, factors that influence travel, why certain modes were used, why they weren't used, um, what made them feel safe or unsafe. And then we had a battery of questions that were targeted at individuals that had specifically used TNCs in the last 60 days. And we asked them about their specific TNC experience. For those more frequent users, what were some of the questions you asked them? We asked them about their specific TNT experience. What about their experience with the app made them feel safer? Uh, if they had a service animal, if they had an issue uh, related to their service animal uh, with the particular TNC uh, used. We also asked if TNC use had increased their likelihood to engage in other activities. Um, so that was interesting as well. Oh, for the use of these services to be an enabler to participate in maybe other activities or other events. Exactly. So basically, um, we asked, we, we provided a list of trip purpose types. We presented uh, individuals uh, a list, and those trip purposes could be uh, making a trip for healthcare, making trips to for social recreational purposes. And we asked them if they felt like they were more likely to engage in those trips since uh, they began using TNCs. And we found that a majority of respondents said that, yes, they were likely to be more engaged in those activities since their TNC use began. And those particular trip types were healthcare, going out for dinner or drinks, visiting friends or relatives, shopping, uh, recreational activities, and just simply running errands. So in that regard, TNCs can be seen as a method or a mode that is an enabler in getting individuals that are visually impaired uh, more engaged in those activities. Well, that's great. Most of our listeners have visual impairments or other print disabilities. Did you come up with any conclusions based on your research that might constitute good advice for these people who either do not yet or have already begun using the TNCs? 
I'm in the process of writing the report, uh, but you know, as as you alluded to, some of the some of the higher level things we can say is that we found that about three quarters of our surveyed uh, respondents said that they had used TNCs. Uh, so there is a huge portion of the visually impaired population that are out there using. We see that people that have used them in the last 60 days are much more comfortable with them. And with that comfort comes a feeling of security. Um, and when we shared our preliminary responses with TNCs through some focus interviews, you know, it's interesting that a lot of what we found, they're very aware of and they're working on it. So one of the other things we found in the survey was that the cost of using TNCs was one of the big reasons why people were not inclined to use them, uh, coupled with not being familiar with TNCs. So one of the things that TNCs are trying to promote amongst the visually impaired uh, population, you know, and this can be said for the non-visually impaired population also, they're really trying to push the, uh, this idea of pooled services where more than one individual engages in a ride. So like a carpooling situation, but in a, in a ride-sharing paradigm. Uh, and what that does is it essentially reduces the price of the ride for the individual it's cheaper on the individual level of two riders instead of one. And in getting that person to overcome that cost barrier, they're riding and they're experiencing and they're becoming more familiar. And hopefully once that familiarity barrier comes down, they're going to feel a lot safer using that mode in the future. And it's really a win-win for both sides of the, the argument, the conversation. It sounds like your bottom line is if you haven't tried it yet, try it. And the more you try it, the more you'll like it. Well, we're certainly not advocating for or against Uber, but the data at this point initially suggests that there is a strong correlation between familiarity and feelings of safety. There was a TV ad like that years ago. Try it. You'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That seems to be the case very much so in this particular example. Have you come up with any conclusions that would constitute good advice for the providers in terms of how they can improve their service to visually impaired customers? Yeah, that's a great question. We're seeing that one of the major obstacles for the visually impaired community in using these TNCs, like I said earlier, is cost. And they're already thinking about it. They're, they're trying, like I said, to push those pooled services and trying to market to the visually impaired community. They do a lot of work with national organizations that advocate on behalf of that segment of the population. Also, what we see is that such a visible part of transportation network companies are the drivers. You know, there's been a lot of press about the relationship between TNC and their drivers being uh, contract type workers. And those drivers are the, the face people. They're on the front lines. They have the direct interaction with not only visually impaired users, but users uh, across all walks of life. And the way they conduct themselves and the level of service they provide to users has a tremendous impact on how users view transportation network companies. And that particular phenomena is even more exacerbated when you're dealing with people that are visually impaired and already feel like they're, they're, a lot of people specifically said this in the survey, that they feel like their disability already from day one puts them at a disadvantage and makes them feel less safe than their uh, sighted counterparts. So the one another piece of information I would pass on or, or reemphasize with TNCs is the fact that their drivers are such a vital link in, in that chain. About a year ago, we had 
occasion to use one of these ride-sharing services. And frankly, we were a little bit uneasy about it, mostly because we'd never tried it and we didn't really know what to expect. But the overall experience went quite smoothly. And Pete, you downloaded the app and entered all the information, and that was quite accessible, right? Yeah, the app was quite easy to use. It was a very seamless experience. But I'm glad I had you there as a sighted individual to verify the license plate, the car model, and color. And I was glad to have all sorts of what you might think is redundant information because the photograph of the driver was terrible. And I would not have recognized her from the photograph, but the car was the right car. And, you know, once we walked over to it and we held up the picture right next to her face. I could see that it was the same person, but uh, it was really nice to have all of that information. The funny thing was it was our first experience using Lyft, and it was this driver's third day on the job. So we kind of learned as we went in both directions, but, you know, we had a, a very positive experience. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Chris and Michelle's research and how to contact them. So if people want to find out more about this work or the eventual full results of the research, where would you send them? They can reach out to me personally. My email is c-simek at tti.tamu.edu. Um, and they can also, uh, this this particular report will be posted on our project website. And the best way to find that is to uh, enter into a, a web search browser, TTI, Public Engagement, and our webpage will come up and you can click on it and find it there. Do you have a social media presence? We do. Uh, I, I personally do, but you probably wouldn't find anything interesting on my personal uh, social media presence. You can look in Instagram or Facebook or Twitter under the Texas A&M Transportation Institute, and uh, you can find those accounts very easily. And without a doubt, this research will be posted up there uh, as soon as it's done. And as usual, you can go to the show notes associated with this episode to find all of that information at www.eyesonsuccess.net. I also want to remind people that we've done lots of episodes of Eyes on Success about transportation, mobility, travel. And if you put any of those terms into the search field on our website, you'll come up with a list of those shows along with summaries and links to the audio and show notes for those episodes. Give it a shot. That's it for show number 1832. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about Samplitude. Samplitude is a sophisticated music production program from Magix that is now accessible using JAWS with specially developed scripts. We'll talk with Steve Spammer about how he and a community of blind individuals connected with Tom Wolf from the Magix development team and worked together to make this possible. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094.
You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.